This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Going in Circles Live. It's Tuesday. And we have... um we have a themed show today. On Sunday, at the Jockey Club Roundtable, Sal Sinatra of the Maryland Jockey Club, uh, a longtime respected racing official, did a presentation about a system of classifying racehorses without using claiming prices. And it's something that's been talked about for a while, kind of... Uh, Never, It never really got a whole lot of traction in this country. But uh, this is the first time that a racing official, a, a highly regarded racing official from a major jurisdiction has broached the subject in a, in a formal fashion, which really piqued my interest because, like I said, we've had these conversations on social media and, and uh, you know, just talking about you know, different ways that we might be able to do things, but it never really seemed like anyone was listening. So this was kind of a a change in in that this is a a major event, the the round table, and Sal Sinatra is a is a a major voice in the Stronach Group and, and in the Maryland Jockey Club. So for him to not only uh, bring this subject up, but have it be the focus of his presentation was very, very intriguing to me. One of the biggest problems we have in racing is that we sometimes uh, seem latched on to tradition and we're sometimes willing to ride that horse right over the cliff so to speak and one of the issues that's been talked about over the last uh, couple years really in response to some of the negative issues that we've had to deal with is claiming races and their place in um in racing and, and, and obviously the vast majority of horses are running in claiming races the vast majority of owners own claiming horses and it's not like this will be um, something that is going to be easy to, to implement because it's not. It, it's going to be difficult just simply because people hold on to what they know as opposed to um, the unknown. And there's other issues, of course, that we'll, we'll get into as well. And we have... One thing about racing is that it's very much a regional sport. And even though I can sit here and and get on my phone and bet races from all over the world, from all over the country, different jurisdictions and different areas have different issues. You're not going to be able to implement systems at places like Charlestown and uh, like you would at Saratoga. 
we have uh, with us today, we have um, four guests, and they represent distinct, uh, distinctly different uh, locales and, and, and positions, uh, and they have different views on, on racing. Uh, our first guest is a trainer that used to be based in the United States that's now uh, back home in Australia named Murray Johnson. Murray actually ran a horse in the Kentucky Derby years ago named Green Alligator. Uh, Murray is kind enough to join us from Australia, and he has experience in you know racing in the United States and also in Australia where they have a, a strong handicapping system that they use there. And, and by, by I mean handicapping, I'm not talking about uh, trying to figure out the winner, but uh, as a way to uh, classify horses so that we can put competitive races on the racetrack. And we're going to get his insight um, on the differences he sees and, and potential uh, potential things that we could do and potential things that are going to be issues. Uh, following him, we have Paul Maddies, who's a, a professional player. And Paul came up with a system about six years ago that he had put out on the website uh, paceadvantage.com, which was one of the first or well, the biggest uh, websites where players, real players, talked about issues and talked about certain uh, items in the game. And his system is, is interesting, and I think that uh, I'd like to hear more about it and, and, and where he's coming from and how he thinks things may have changed in the five or six years uh, since he, he put together his system and, and kind of what his view is from a, a person that, that plays the races in a, in a very serious fashion. Uh, following Paul, we have uh, Ilka Gansera Levesque, uh, who is a trainer in England. Uh, Ilka worked for me uh, several years ago, well, a long time ago now, and she has a, a, a unique perspective as well, as that she had spent some time in the United States before going back to Europe. She's she's actually uh, a licensed veterinarian. I'm not sure if she's licensed. I don't know how they do it over there, but she she has a veterinary degree and she trains. Uh, she has a yard in Newmarket with her with her husband. They train um, thoroughbreds and some Arabians, and uh, we'll get her view on, on handicap systems. And uh, she has uh, she may not be as positive about the system as as others may be. And I think it's important to try to hear from those who actually are in Europe because we hear a lot of things about Europe and everyone thinks European horses make 25 starts a year and they're all 100% sound, they never bleed, everything's wonderful and everybody goes to a pub after the races and holds hands. But it's just not true. And they have the same issues that we have here. And um, she's complained to me a lot <laughs> over the years about the handicap system, how she feels that uh, it can get manipulated, how she feels it, it can uh, stifle some some runners' uh, ability to get in races and things like that. So we'll hear from her. And our final guest is Elizabeth Rogers, 
who is the racing secretary at Charlestown. And we'll get her perspective uh, from a track that has uh, mostly small-time owners, mostly uh, claiming horses and, and, and state-bred type horses, and uh, really people that, that um, a, a lot of the horsemen there uh, are people that breed their own horses, that raise their own horses. And even though they're not breeding and, and, and raising really high-dollar horses, they're still spending quite a bit of money to get those horses to the races and, as such, maybe be interested in, in something um, other than just a straight claiming system. So I want to get everybody uh, plenty of time to um, to give their their uh, their opinions on this. And I have some opinions on it. I have uh, some feelings about it. And I think that... Um, it's something that we should keep an open mind to. I think some of the reaction on social media to Sal's proposal, well, number one, I think a lot of people didn't actually listen to it. And I think, number two, that people believe all of a sudden it's just going to become all allowance races because the connotation is that a race that's not a stake race, that's not a maiden race, that horses aren't eligible to get claimed is more or less an allowance race. And... I guess in a way it would be, but but I think that a, a handicap system can work in this country in a lot of jurisdictions. I believe that it will be beneficial to the majority of people. I think it won't be beneficial to those who are currently taking advantage of the, the system by the big outfits that continually run horses uh, down people's throats and cause short fields, cause uh, short betting prices, um, cause the the product, the betting product, not to be as, as good as it might be because in a lot of situations they have multiple horses for divisions and they're not all that concerned with, with getting them claimed. And winning is... Is the name of the game, and I'll be honest with you: winning races is hard, except when you start running twenty thousand dollar horses for eight and ten. It's not that hard when that happens. It's it's like if the uh, the Yankees started playing double A teams, they'd lose a game here or there, but for the most part, they would win most of the time, just because they're a little bit better. And the idea that we can just keep claiming. Uh, those guys' horses is just the problem with with purses being double and triple. The claiming price is that you get confused when um, you get confused as to are they dropping a horse because the horse has an issue, or are they just dropping the horse because they want to win a purse, and maybe they have two or three other horses for the same class. And uh, I mean, it's it's a bigger issue, but. But today's issue is how can we do this better? And I think that's uh, something that we should we should start by going down under and speaking with my friend Murray Johnson. Murray, are you there? Sure am, Chuck. Murray, thank you for uh, for getting up early for everyone uh, that doesn't have their uh, their time zone guide with them. Uh, it's it's a little bit after four o'clock in the morning for. 
for Mr. Johnson. So our day is still uh, we're still midday, and he's uh, he's even he's up before breakfast time. Yep, certainly am. Uh, I gave you a little bit of a brief introduction uh, by mentioning that uh, I met you in Kentucky when when you were were training over here, um, and uh, I, I, I tossed out uh, your most famous horse, the Green Alligator. Well, I guess he's his second most famous horse, but uh, Green Alligator that you actually ran into Derby because you know it's it's Derby season over here. It's August, <laughs> which seems bizarre, but uh, that that's the the hand that we're dealing with now. But um, uh, I thought that uh, I, I was happy that you jumped on the the, the, the page on Facebook today and, and volunteered to come on because uh, you got you have a unique perspective as as had to been dealing with um, you know the United States uh, system of, of of racing with maidens and allowance and claiming and and um, and the Australians as well. So you have a, a pretty unique perspective, and, and we'd like to really uh, you know get your feelings on. on on what you think we could do here? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I was lucky to be in America during the what I consider some of the the great the last great era of American racing, really, and uh, where claiming racing was claiming racing, and then I saw the introduction of casinos and uh, where it really skewed the the whole uh, system of claiming racing and finding a level of horses where they could compete on a on a level field of similar ability uh and it changed things a lot and uh which i'm sure everybody there knows and uh yeah so when i came back to australia uh came back in 11 and took out my license in 2013 and you know, there's a completely different system here. So I have I worked the system for worked within that system for five years, and I've since given up training. But uh, yeah, the comparison, you know, the, the, I can see the need to be looking at a different system because of the changes that have undergone over there over the last couple of decades. Describe briefly um, what the system that that is in place in Australia. Uh, you you sent a link uh, to me and, and I put that up on my website. Though I'm not confident that it's actually made it up because I'm not exactly um, a, a webmaster. But uh, could you explain how how that system works and how a horse, um, say, take a maiden, a horse that had never raced, how, where they would be placed and, and as they progressed and won races and and maybe weren't at a stakes caliber level, how, how they would be campaigned. Yeah, a maiden is a maiden, so you can go to any maiden race anywhere, and they're pretty much set weights. With uh, if they're an open maiden, you'll get the colts and girdings on one weight and uh, on a set weight, and then uh, fillies would be given a two kilo, two kilo allowance. Uh, now, two uh, one kilo is two point two pounds, so uh, the ratings go by. One point equals half a kilo, so just over a pound per each point. So when you start as a maiden, you have the set weights. Then if you win, depending on where you win it, and then how we have our sort of different levels, uh, we start with non-TAB, which is non... uh, You can bet 
you can't bet at the betting shops, which we call TABs. And nowadays, uh, of course, we have online betting and that. So most most of them, uh, you can bet through the your your betting services, but they do have some lower levels, which would be purse money under ten thousand dollars. And then you, in Victoria anyway, you start with your maidens around the what we call country tracks, uh, non non-city tracks um, and that uh, or during the week and they would be around $23,000 and then you'll go to midweek in the city which would be about $35,000 and then uh, on a you don't have very many maidens or uh, I don't think any maidens on a Saturday in the city so your top maiden Purse-wise, would be about thirty-five thousand. Uh, so, when depending on where you win, if you won at a uh, the non-TAB, the lowest level, that you, a, a decent sort of winner without being exceptional or anything, you know, not winning by twenty-five lengths or anything, would be rated in the fifty. So, uh, probably like fifty-six, fifty-six or so, and then. If you won at the uh, the, the the country one, the twenty three thousand dollar level, you would probably be rated around between fifty seven and if you won exceptionally well and it was a decent field uh, of horses that had you know performed some placings at that level, you might get a rating of sixty to sixty four, and then the next level. We what we have what they call benchmark races. Then that's sort of how you go up. You go from a maiden, then to a uh, zero to fifty-eight. So any horse in a uh, with a rating of fifty-eight would be top weight in there. And we always have a top weight, or well, nearly always have a top weight of sixty kilos, which be one hundred and twenty pounds, or just over. And you've got to understand a little bit that our base, our bottom level is 54 for the riders. We have fat riders over here. They start at 54 kilos, which is nearly 119 pounds. Right. So other than apprentices, that's the lowest weight that they'll have to be, uh, other than when you get up into weight for age races and things. So, so Murray, and, every and- horse is assigned a, a rating, Every single horse yes. assigned a rating, and and the rating, the uh, who who assigns that rating number to them? Yeah, we have a uh, handicapping. You know, there's a there's a group of handicappers that work for Racing Victoria. Um, the other states are similar, but I'm more familiar with Victoria, so I'll I'll talk about Victoria. Um, so within 24 hours, they 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 produce a number. And uh, you, that's your rating to work with. And so after breaking your maiden, if you're, you're breaking one of the lower-level maidens, your next race would be a 0 to 58. Now, they have some races where 58 is there's the top. No one can be above that. But then they have benchmark races where 58 the top. But if you go above that, say you get a 62 and you want to run in a 58, well, that's four points above, so you would you would carry 
uh, eight eight uh, points. That's uh, no, sorry, eight pounds above uh, that. So, so if the benchmark was one twenty and you were four pounds, you were four points higher in your rating, you would carry one twenty eight in the race, and the other horses would carry. Uh, well, depending on what their rating was, the, the, but the, like you said, the benchmark would be one twenty. So an eight pound weight swing. Yeah, and that that's when people in, uh, would use an apprentice, basically, right, to bring their weight back down. Uh, There's a big thing once it gets to sixty, which is oh, one hundred and twenty, a little bit more than one hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, well, yeah, um, it would be, uh, you know, that the horses don't seem to perform. So by using an apprentice, which we have, they start with a four kilo claim, which would be eight pounds or nearly nine pounds. Right. Um, that's very short. I think 10 wins or something, then they lose that. And then they they go to three kilo claim, which would be six uh, 6.6 6, uh, pounds. So it's not and it's not really much different than the U.S. Where, where bug riders get ten pounds briefly, then seven pounds. For, I think the thirty-five wins, and then they get five pounds. So it, it's yeah, similar we go, to that we go, situation. Yeah, we go four, three, and then two. Right. I right. don't think they have one. They may have one. I'm not sure. But you know, when, uh, when I was a little kid, they threatened us with the metric system like every year, and they told us the metric system is coming. You people better learn it, and we were all terrified. And uh, that was a long time ago, and we still don't use the metric system in this country. <laughs> so. No, I think it's, America might be the only only country <laughs> that doesn't. But it makes it, uh, it makes it a little difficult when you're trying to to compare uh, internationally. When when you're talking about kilos over here, most of you know down in South Florida, we kilos we think of Miami Vice and you know guys sneaking <laughs> in uh, Colombians on, on boats. <laughs> um, exactly. So let me ask you a question. Uh, okay, so we've we've thrown out some numbers: uh, fifty-eight rating, sixty-four. What would a top horse? Um, what, what kind of rating would it, would a, a really nice stake horse get? Yeah, what, when you work your way up, you're sixty-four, and then you're seventy, seventy-eight, eighty-four, ninety, and then you're getting uh, anything above ninety, you'd be listed stake. Uh, ninety-five to a hundred, you'd be you're a grade two, grade three, and once you get over a hundred a hundred points, um, you'd be a stake race. Because if you're a hundred points and the highest other rated race is ninety, it means you're going to be carrying a lot of weight. So you've got to basically be going into stake races, which are weight for age or set weights. Uh, there are handicaps, but um, and yeah, so once you get above ninety, you're really looking uh, at running in in set weight races or stake races, really. Right. So, so Winks would be uh, in in the hundreds. Uh, Winks, yeah, she <laughs> would have. I don't know what she. Yeah, she would have been uh, 120 or something, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> So let me ask you this: You, you, like you said, you, you've seen both systems in play. And what's what's uh, what's a drawback to the system in Australia? Uh, I'll put it this way: What's a drawback to the system in Australia if you are trying to implement something here? 
Oh, just acceptance, really. Um, and it's not perfect. Uh, you know, you, you it does favour the bigger stables a little bit because they can uh, sometimes in the benchmark races where there's really no limit because you can put a seventy horse in a in a fifty in a say a seventy sixty two, but you're going to be a lot more weight. You take the apprentice, you might get a four kilo. Apprentice, so that's eight eight points. So, you know, if you're a seventy, that would bring you down to sixty, uh, sixty two. Right. Um, and that's a lot of weight for for a, for a horse. And then you've got an apprentice that's very not very experienced. So, what uh, the biggest stables are able to do in a say a seven a sixty four, which is sort of your second. Most maidens go from a maiden up to a 64 um, because they're weighted around 62, 64, but they may win that and rise up to a, into a 70 and be unsuccessful a couple of times, and you, you point, your rating will drop, but very slowly, you, you know, with poor performances, you might drop one, one point, um, and not necessarily every time, depending... You may run fifth beaten less than a length, and so they won't drop your rating at all. They won't. Nec- they won't really put it up. The go- the upward motion is really um, for winners only. Uh, obviously, if you run a sixty rated horse in a seventy or something like that, and run a very good second, they would put you up a couple, but they won't take you out of that sixty four level. So they they don't unless you. Where where you can jump classes, you if you run young horse, two year old, three year old, you run in a stake. It's third, say you break your maiden, and then second start, you're running in a stake race and you win it. Well, you're going to go from a sixty up to seventy five or something like that. So you're not going to be able to run in the sixty fours anymore, right? And you're probably not going to run in the seventies, but. But, you know, at that time you've established yourself as a higher-level horse. And and so, you know, and then even if you win a graded stake as a maiden or something, you're going to jump up to, you know, 80, 85, 90, something like that. Sure. Now, what about um, distances? In uh, What if you have – do you get a separate rating for a horse that, say, is, is a – uh, running a, a thousand meters or five eighths, and they wanted to run uh, a mile in a, a you know, eighteen hundred meters. Would, would they be? Would, there, would they get a different rating for a, a different race? Or it, it, no, not not necessarily a different rating. But if your horse that is a proven two thousand meter horse, say with a rating of seventy five, and he runs in a 78 at a sprinting distance and performs poorly, they're not going to lower his, they're not his right. number. It's not gonna, it's not gonna, they're not, so it's hard to manipulate by just running in the wrong race and getting a, a bad performance on and, and, and dropping it down because that's that's one of the things that, that's uh, been posed to me, the question is, well, uh, and, and of course in, in this country we have um, the different surface issue that, that that's going to come about um, so, you know, well, we do have, we do have synthetic here and that, but they don't 
Uh, yeah, there's no, they don't really differentiate. There are even some dirt tracks here, you know, but at the very low, well, at the lower level. There's, right. There's a dirt tracks at the med- oh, low to medium level. But, yeah, they don't differentiate. And that is the, probably the flaw of it, that once you have, say you have a young horse that jumps up and runs really well in a stake race, just because maybe the, the you know, you look back on the race a year later and you realize, well, none of them was really stake horses, but you'll be penalized and you'll jump, you know, up very high. So all of a sudden you can't run in those, you can't take, go through your grades, we call it. You can't go you know, to a 64 and win, you know, run a couple of times and win one and then go to a 70 and win one of them and go to a 78, all of a sudden those races are sort of taken away from you. So that's the, that's the thing. You almost have to run at the right distance and perform badly a number of times to get your rating back down to where you find your level of competitiveness. Sure. And unfortunately, sometimes you've run too many times to where the horse is needs a break or he's injured and that so you get to your level but the horse isn't at 100 percent so you know that's probably the one floor and then of course you know you get the the smart guys that you know i guess i don't know what you call them but the guys that sort of don't maybe let their horses perform at 100 percent so that they get their rating down but you know that's uh you know, I guess there's a, there's two sides of that that can work, but then you can waste races. And I've always felt like if you teach a horse to lose, they get good at losing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's true. I, I remember that there was a jurisdiction in this country. I think it was New York where they would um, there was, and these were stake races. They would uh, for handicapped stake races. They would give two weights for the horse if uh, a grass handicap stake races because guys would put horses in that were dirt horses and they would get you know ridiculously low weights on the grass because they have no grass form or the grass form was poor and if the race came off the turf it, it was everything was upside down because the turf horses would wind up giving the the dirt horses weight on their preferred surface and and it uh, they, so they assigned uh dirt numbers to the horses too and and I'll be honest I don't even know if they still do that um but uh I, I do recall that that happening for uh, for a while um but um it's uh I mean what we have now, right now, Murray, is is an issue with uh, a lot of bigger outfits dominate by just dropping and dropping and dropping. And the purse levels yeah. are so high, like you had stated in the beginning, that dropping and winning, if you win, it, it's it's still you're still profiting. And the problem is that you can also hide horses you don't want to get, you, you don't want to keep, and. Uh, I think that over the last 18 months, racing has done a better job in policing uh, d- some of the the horses uh, that shouldn't be racing. The, the veterinarians, the pre-race checks have gotten more stringent. They actually have them in some places that didn't have them. And they're, they're not letting questionable horses race. 
which of course always there's always a fine line. I mean, it's a gray area. It's it's very rarely black and white. Where okay, this horse is perfect and this horse is terrible. Um, but we still have yeah. that connotation, and and we've added some uh, voided claiming rules that we didn't used to have. And I, I think it's it's I think it's gotten better, but I don't think it's gotten to the point where we we shouldn't still try to look um, to improve. And and I believe that in some ways, trying to change over to a non claiming uh, system is going to be. Uh, Framed as as being a beneficial to the horses, which I do believe that would be true. Uh, but the other thing is, I believe that you'll you'll be able to get more competitive races. Um, I, I said right before you came on, it's hard to win races, except when you start running twenty five thousand dollars horses for seventy five hundred. It's not quite so hard anymore, and that's the thing is, is that if we can get. A group of of horses with comparable form, with comparable talent in races, and it gives more people a chance to win, and people that have put a lot of money into horses that turn out to not be great horses, they don't have to worry about getting them all claimed away right away. Uh, One of the issues that that we would have if we went to a system like this here is that uh, a lot of people acquire their stable, their stock by claiming them. And this would, you know, drastically reduce the ability for, for someone to do that. Uh, how did, I mean, I understand it's a different country. It's a different system. It's, it's kind of a different philosophy. Racing is, is, is looked at differently there than it is here. But, um, I mean, outside of maybe having, you know the the paddock sales uh, at the tracks. Um, yeah, let let me um, how it works more here. And I've always said uh, I've always felt um, claiming races wouldn't work in Australia because uh, and the, the, it's evolved because of no claiming races. And like you say, how do you get it? How do you get a horse and everything? The sales buying a, a, a horse is the only way basically so um what what is huge here is syndication of horses to where every horse uh, in the program they're allowed to list 20 individual owners which sometimes one of those individual owners will be a a syndicate within itself so you can have people there's horses that have 800 owners and stuff so they buy them as yearlings basically and there are used horse racehorse sales and that and nowadays they're all online and and you know the big stables godolphin and and those type uh sell off their horses in those sales and and you know uh actually they're very good at full disclosure of veterinary records and everything and and they wish the purchaser good luck and there's been several of them to be bought from a lot of money to little money and to go on and be successful. And then there's been lots that, you know, had to, uh, because their ratings were high, had to run for a while and, and end up sort of in the country and maybe running in country cups and things like that, that the Godolphin-type operations aren't inter- really interested in. So that's the trade of horses. So, 
you know, that's, uh, if you're keen to get in, it's more, that's the, that's the avenue of buying the group of people. Like I say, anything from yourself all the way up to 800 people or more and uh but in the program to be listed that entity whether it's an individual or a syndicate they have to own five percent of the horse so that gives you 20 individual people and you know that's that has its ups and downs because uh you know you get in a syndicate and there's 20 people in with five percent and after you know now with the social media and everything the jockey i mean the trainers have to send out videos and emails and that about the progression of the horse during training and breaking and everything which of course are always rosy sure <laughs> you know like of you're course. not going to say oh this thing's not showing much so he's not limping much <laughs> sorry no the horse he's he's not limping that badly yeah exactly so there is some deception there where you know people get glowing reports glowing reports for their five percent of their hundred thousand dollar yearling and then next thing oh we sold him off for ten thousand dollars because he wasn't going to be suitable yeah and that you know and then the other thing is as a trainer you might have a horse for a syndicate and you know he runs a couple of times yeah he breaks his maiden but then he's not gonna he's not gonna go up through his classes he's gonna hit his level and that's going to be his level right and uh Three or four, five, half the people stop paying, but then half of them are still paying. So you, you, to, to be fair to them, you got to keep the horse going. Next thing, you're chasing money. Yeah, the, we have the same problems worldwide. <laughs> Murray, yeah, exactly. Listen, man, I want to really, I appreciate you getting up early today and joining us and giving us a little bit of a glimpse of how things are done over there. And I would certainly love to have you back on. Um, and, uh, you know, you never know, once things uh, get cleared up, I, I might take a field trip down and, and, and come visit you. Oh, that would be fantastic. And, uh, yeah, racing is great. It's one of the major sports here, and we've been lucky to keep going through this uh, virus. And it's been uh, similar to what I read over there. The handle is up because people don't have anything else to do sort of thing. And uh, it's probably going to be... Uh, positive for horse racing that we've been able to keep going and entertain people and give them something to do during their lockdowns yes that's that's what we're hoping for well, murray thank you again i appreciate your time and uh, go have breakfast all right thank you chuck and uh, you know well done on on getting this together and uh yeah no it's it's great and i'd love to be on again at, whenever you need you are, you are our official australian correspondent as of right now all right, great, Jack. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that that was Murray Johnson, uh, who uh, who used to be used to be based in Kentucky, and he um, he had a good horse, a really good horse named Perfect Drift, uh, who who had a, 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 a kind of a nasty habit of running second a lot. But uh, Murray's a good guy, and uh, he's he's. Uh, He's our man. He was willing to get up in the middle of the night to, to talk about this topic, so I appreciate that. Uh, Casey tells me that we have uh, Paul Maddie's Paul, are you there? I'm here. How you doing, Chuck? Uh, hey, Paul. How are you? Perfect. First was a great horse, wasn't he? He was. A he, great horse. he was. I tell you one thing. That horse got checks, big checks, all the time. Yeah. 
He ran against really good horses every time. He was. You, you know who he reminds me of a little bit is that horse that Mott has, that Tacticus or whatever his, however you pronounce it. Yeah, a little it. bit. You know, he's yeah. got a he, he's a, a a top grade kind of cal, you know grade one caliber type horse who just seems to do a lot of running, who who, who always seems to find a way to lose, but but always runs well. That, that's uh, right. Kind of the yeah, that's a good <laughs> that's, that's what he me of. But modern, I mean, he made yeah, four and a half million bucks, good. so I, I I'd like that one. Yeah, right. Like you don't feel too. sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, uh, it was interesting that I, 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 you know, what's funny. I had seen what you wrote on Pace Advantage years ago, and uh, when I saw what you had posted on Twitter yesterday, it kind of brought that back to me because I remember looking at that post that you made. Uh, I think it was about six years ago, and thinking, you know, there's a lot of merit to what he's saying here, but. We'd have to probably hold up the racing officials and the top trainers by by gunpoint to try to get this implemented. But um, you know, I think Sal's uh, in my intro today. I kind of said that. I mean, I've been thinking about doing something like this for twenty years, and it never really gets too far, and everybody kind of dismisses it. But in my, you know, my view is that. We have to do a, a much better job of putting a better product on the racetrack. And uh, I said to Murray just a few minutes ago, these kind of changes, a, a different system, uh, a handicap system of sorts, uh, a different way of classifying, would certainly be framed as a positive to horses because there, we, we wouldn't have these horses just getting dumped in claiming races and dropped in, in price and, and things like that. But I think the which, of course, is a benefit, and of course no one's going to argue with that part, but I really think that trying to classify like horses in races where you're protected a little bit, where it just seems, though, you could get uh, better quality fields, bigger fields, um, without so many odds on horses, which is which just seemed to be such a big issue that we have these days. Yeah, you know, that kind of was my idea, you know, when I, the idea that I, the specific idea that I posted on Pace Advantage was that, that was for for Naira, when Naira was switching over and they were going to get the, the slot money, and like we've seen a bunch of times, you know, these, the slot money didn't necessarily bring better racing for the owners or the, or the betters, certainly not for the betters, it was a little bit maybe for some owners. Right, but it usually was a top-heavy thing, exactly. You know, like, and it, and it led to all the claiming and dropping, the jamming, you know. And then even on the higher end, it leads to the, you know, one of the things that I don't like about American racing right now is that these the young horses are primed to win like their one race, you know. And I always I always think that's a mistake, you know. But I can't blame the trainers necessarily or the owners for doing that because, you know, just like you were talking with Murray, the finances aren't there to, you know, they're not there for, for every horse. If, if you get one, that, even when you get a late developing horse or you take your time, it's not, it's not to your best advantage financially, you know. And, I mean, my, my thought process on this was, you know, not only protect the horses, there was, there was a lot of things at work. You know, that was my point. I just wanted to protect the horses. I wanted to protect the owners. I wanted to make a better product for the betters. 
And I don't think the handicap system of, say, like Hong Kong or international, right. even what Sal was talking about, is going to work in the United States as far as the betters are, are going to be, they're going to blow it off. They're not going to like it. It's going to be different. So I was trying to come up with a system that was, you know, not that, you know, revolutionary to what we have. Right. But, but protect. But protect the owners, protect the horses, and, and, and then solve some of the things that we've talked about, you know, come up with a better product. You know, uh, before we go on, if uh, anyone, the, it, listeners, if you go to www.goingincirclespodcast.com, on the home page, I posted uh, Paul's, uh, his posts uh, from the Pace Advantage page kind of describing his system. And, and I know that if you you see something visually, you listen to what he says and how he explains it, and it, it'll probably help to see it on you know written down as well. That's, that's one of the, the weaknesses of, of, a, of, of this kind of medium is that, you, you don't have the the vision, uh, you know, the uh, the visual that 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 kind of enhances when you're talking about uh, creating a system and, and levels and, and and going from from race to race. It's it's so much easier when you actually look at it. And and so if you go to uh, the the homepage um, of goingincirclespodcast.com, it shows uh, the whole um, structure of, of how he set that up. So as he explains it. There is something. There is somewhere that you can go to, to kind of see that. Uh, yeah, my place. idea was that uh, you know I I don't think it's very overwhelming. I think it's actually simpler, in a sense. It's almost like you know the old Roosevelt and Yonkers type. The ABC. The ABC kind of, and that it's not exactly that, but it you know kind of follows that, and that's a simple way for the you know it's much simpler if somebody's learning right now than what if you have to explain to them what a maiden special weight or. Or non-winners and one other than is, you know, and um, you know this is even easier than that, you know, if you're just, if you're starting. And but it's not all that much different when you really get down to it. It just has a couple things because of that that can protect the horses and it can protect it, you know, help help the you know help the product. Right. Um, talk about your view uh, for people that don't know. Paul is is a. Um, would you classify yourself as a professional player? Yeah, I've been a professional uh, horse player for almost thirty years now, and I've also been an owner for thir- for that same amount of time too. So, right, which is good, I, you know. And you get this. I think a lot of the problem that we wind up with in in, in racing is that there's so many different viewpoints. And the jockeys have their viewpoint. The trainers have their viewpoint. There's actually probably two sets of trainers now. The 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 haves have their 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 set of, right. of, of viewpoints, and the guys that are not have their set of viewpoints. Uh, racing management has their set of viewpoints, and uh, I, I think it's 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 important. Um, I, I was on. A, I did my podcast on Monday night yesterday, and I said the one thing that I can give people is. The viewpoint from someone who's been able to do a lot of different—I've worn a lot of different hats in this business—and there's a whole lot of people that are a whole lot smarter than I. I'm not saying that I'm smarter than anybody because I'm not, but I've worked in the racing office. I've bred horses. I've sold horses. I've bought horses. I've trained good horses. I've trained bad horses. I've—I've um, <laughs> you know—I've gambled decidedly not professionally. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I've done it with standard breads as well as thoroughbreds. So. I think sometimes we get very focused in 
uh, our own personal view and people are, are, are looking at things, uh, you know, people, are, trainers are complaining. Well, um, hey, why aren't, why aren't the purses going up? Your handle's up. Well, <laughs> handle might be up, but you, don't, you realize that the casino is, is pumping in, uh, in New York maybe 45% of the purse money and it's not up and running and places like Parks. We're already getting ninety percent of the purse money. It's not up and running, so yeah, you gotta, you know, you, you you're not looking at you're looking at it only from your own barn view. You have to look at it from the the, the view of of you know what's actually going on. And, and um... without a doubt, the uh, I always say that what makes racing so great actually it, it actually hurts it is that you can go about it in so many different ways, and and it and it. Uh, you know, it's a sport. It's a, it's a business. It's a, it's a leisure activity. It's a, you know, it's got the gambling aspect to it. it. You know, if you go, if you breed horses, it's got the animals and you know, most beautiful animals in the world. And it just, it comes from so many different places. It makes it so, it makes it so great and so complicated and but yet so you know, elaborate. But because of that. All the, like you say, all the different forces from where these, from where all these people are coming from, all have a say, and they all want what's best for them. And it's tough to see the whole picture. And guys like me and you, who have been all around that spectrum, I think it's easier for us to put ourselves in somebody else's place. You know, when they, you know, when when you're listening to it. You know, one of the things I, I I've been part of this thoroughbred ideas, and I, I've, I've stayed away from a lot of the industry stuff, but I really like. Um, the thoroughbred ideas, idea of, you know, that they, they, they want what's best for the whole industry, but they, they say that the, the gambler is, is actually the most important part and the owner is the second most important part. And if you, if you help those two people out, everything else will trickle down to all these other groups. And they're trying, you know, that's like kind of the, their philosophy to, to try to educate these other ABC organizations into understanding that, and I really believe in that. I think that that's, that uh, they have a, they have a right on. That's why I really like taking part in some of the things that they're doing, because if you if you if you keep the owners happy and you keep the gamblers happy, the racing's going to keep going and it's going to get better and it's going to flourish. You know, and I think these other groups have to understand that a little bit more than they do. And I know that. You got to have your self-interest. You know, the, the, the breeders have to get their share, and the, the tracks have to make their money, and the ADWs have to make their money. But you have to see the whole picture, that, and, and the whole picture starts with those two groups. That, that's, that's so true, and you know, racing has, has such, and it's so funny because we say "quote unquote" racing, and there really is no racing. Racing is, is <laughs> right. a divergent bunch of uh, different groups and, and, and different. The tracks are, are mostly owned by different uh, groups and people and organizations. The uh, the horsemen uh, are, are represented by different groups. Um, we, I mean, I, I if you think about it, it's crazy that the the horsemen in this country don't even have a single representative uh, group that represents everyone, and no. it, it, it's it's kind of. You know, racing is still a regional sport in so many different ways, uh, and, and we tend to think of it nationally now because, I mean, 30 years ago, when you went to the track, you, you bet your nine races, 
and that was it. You, you didn't follow other jurisdictions because you you, could, you didn't have access to them. You didn't see them. You couldn't just pick up. You couldn't go online and get a form for uh, California if you were in New York. And and uh, it, it's just a. Uh, there's so many different uh, varieties of, of racing. What'll work at one place certainly won't work at another place. And and sometimes you see ideas that are tossed out there that would work fine at Belmont and Saratoga and Keeneland and Churchill, uh, but they're not going to work at the Finger Lakes and they're not going to work at uh, Delaware or, or tracks like that. And and the commitment to racing has waned so much. In that, you go back 20, 25 years before we had alternate sources of gaming, and really before we had ADWs, that every racetrack wanted to succeed as a racetrack. And that's not, I can't say with a straight face that some of these tracks actually want to do that. Churchill wants to drive their stock price, Churchill is willing to sacrifice Arlington Park for a, a, a crappy little casino 11 miles down the road that they don't even own the whole thing. And the, the racing is just a segment of what they do. Uh, the, the Pennsylvania tracks, um, their commitment to racing is uh, let's do the bare minimum. Um, place like Oaklawn has been able to really flourish because they have a commitment to racing, but they also have that advantage of having... Uh, a year's worth of, of money stockpiled from alternate sources that they're only using in a, over a short period of time. So, yes, they look it looks great, and, and Oakland's a great meet, and, and, and uh, they treat people good there. And I mean, it's hard to really come up with negatives about Oakland, but, but they have that little bit of an advantage, like Keeneland always did. I mean, Keeneland was always um, able to give us more money for purses than we would... Uh, we would uh, you know, yeah, contractually get obligated to because of the the the, the you know for handle, but because you know they happen to sell a billion dollars worth of horses a year, so it, it was no, they, they were able to do that, and and it's just no it's frustrating. That, yeah, you're, you're no no doubt what you're saying is true, and it's it's probably not fair to to expect the racetracks tonight. Um, that's why I've got, I've kind of looked at it a little differently, especially since I've been part of this organization. Like I said. I think the, the, the people that could unite, and I, I, I'm interested in see what your opinion is on this, is I think it's got to come from the horsemen. You know, the horsemen have some power that, that they, don't, they don't use, and for the most part, most people aren't doing it on a, on a day-to-day basis, so they don't, they don't go and, you know, organize the owners necessarily. Um, but if they have, they have the power from the... From the uh, international the, the the 1978 uh, act there, so the, the horse racing horse racing act, yeah, the interstate, yeah, the interstate act, where they have to uh, the horse they have to agree to the horsemen to, to put any signal on, and that gives them lots of power, uh, you know, across across the lines of simulcasting, and I think, you know, if we're ever going to have, like you say, if we're ever going to have a racing. It almost has to come from the horsemen uniting. You know, I, I, I agree and I disagree. I agree in that I think, to me, owners are a huge wasted resource in that owners, certain owners have, have massive amounts of political power. They have contacts. They have um, 
they have the ability to make a phone call and talk to whoever they need to talk to. And I'm not saying all of them, but a, a lot of them, far more than, than trainers. And what people forget is that horsemen's groups represent owners and trainers, not just trainers. And, and certainly we do it, trainers do it on a day-to-day basis for a living. And very few owners uh, own, you know, huge farms. And, and, and honestly, even if you did, it, it would probably be more of a, a breeding sales component and with the racing being secondary. But the problem, Paul, with, with the, the Interstate Horse Racing Act is that the tracks know that we're not gonna we're not gonna block the signal. It's just not gonna happen. I, I don't know any horseman's organization that really these days, outside of uh, you know places like Arizona where it's uh, just a, a total mess. Right. I, you know, well, we can threaten to do it, to, yeah. but but yeah. I, I think one of the problems that that we have is that. Uh, like we were saying before, well, tracks aren't just – we're not just the only business they have, and they stick right. it to it. I, I spent three years on the board of the Florida Horseman, uh, the HVPA, and and it was something that opened my eyes in some ways. And I, I believe in some – there are some things I think that the tracks are, are really good partners with us on that, that they do kind of do probably – don't get maybe enough credit for 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 helping out in, in some ways, but there's other ways that um, if you went to Churchill Downs as the Horsemen's organization and you said to them, "Well, we want to know what you're charging uh, this company for this this, uh, uh, this this group of batch players," they would say, "Get out, <laughs> get out of our office. We're not, we have no obligation to tell you anything." And that's that. Those are the things. Um, those are the conversations that we we really we really. Um, uh, it's hard to have, and they're going to throw a lot of roadblocks up. And 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 there's things that, that I know it's it's a huge topic, literally every day now on Twitter about uh, the jackpot pools and um, the the unusual betting patterns that that seem to hit these things and. That these aren't regular people that go to the races and handicap and and and, and figure out uh, people like the, you, you would, where you're trying to figure out, you're trying to win. You're not just trying to leverage um, a, a rebate. You're not trying to grind out two percent, and you know because you're betting a uh, hundred million dollars a year. But yeah, well, that's the biggest disappointment about the the, the jackpot bets and the, just the CRW players in general right now, which is that's a, that's a different problem. But it's a it's a big problem right now for the threat of racing because, again, it goes back to what we were saying. It, it's a threat to the to the horse players, you know. It and just and Paul, it just looks bad. It just looks bad, and I know sometimes some of the theories that are out there are kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> one theory was all oh, Astronics people were actually putting tickets in themselves, and I'm like, come on, <laughs> that's not happening. No, but. Yeah, well, um, it, it, like but said, it's a bad optic, and it, it is you know, a bad and optic. And I think you said something on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about the late odds changes. In that, it used to be that um, you know the, after the race, the guys that lost were upset, but now it's the guys who won are upset because their, their seven to two shot goes across the wire at, at six to five. And and yeah, that that's how, how do you how, how do you quantify that to people, and how do you explain it? And it's like we have. There's always things in, in racing that are a little bit difficult to explain, 
And this is one that I, I just don't, I, I have no way of, of really, if someone asked me, I, I wouldn't know what to tell them that would sound not like bullshit. <laughs> and that, well, that's, yeah, and that's that, a problem. Yeah, and you're not going to get them to come back. I mean, that's the, you know, that that's the problem, you know. Uh, it, it's, it's a bad optic, and somebody who's starting out, forget if you're just standing out, starting out. I've heard lots of, lots of players that are, that are playing now that I just know are going to, they're, they're not going to be playing in a year or two from now if it, you know, if it, if it keeps happening because the, the enjoyment goes away, you know, and that's, uh, that's a big problem. You know? it, it, it's hard to be bombarded with bad news on a daily basis and, su- and questionable things on a daily basis, even if it's a little bit, some of the theories are a little outlandish. It's just the constant barrage that every every week there's a jackpot bet that's hit with a ticket that no sane person would play, and it's it's you know you have um, I think as a player, even as an owner and a trainer, you you have a right of expectation that things are going to be on the level that uh, the trainers that win too much are going to be examined that that. Um, uh, odds that don't look right. Uh, th- there's going to be someone that's going to research it and figure out why. And I'll be honest, I- I'm not that confident anymore in these things happening. And there's just, and, and I want to be like the purveyor of doom, but uh, I think one of the things that we, when you basic bake it, excuse me, when you, you break it down to basics, our product that we put on the racetrack on a daily basis in general just isn't that good and it's worse than it was and uh, about two three times a, a month I, I find old programs and i post them on facebook and i said this is why i complain look at the card i, I posted one the other day a naira card from a thursday and the last race was a 12 horse hundred thousand dollar claimer going a mile and an eighth with a, a, a full field and it was like you know those are the type of races that that you crave that you want that that's you want that to be um and, and that was back when we had i think one trifecta day so we had one triple it was the triple race you know and right. and and those are the type of races and i, I said uh, made a comment about steve asmussen's first timer that won on sunday the philly that, that won the first race and she looked really good winning it and, and she's probably a good horse uh, no doubt. I mean, she's, she's a good horse. And, and, and Asmussen does a really good job of getting the horses ready early. I said, but the thing is, like, horses aren't tested anymore. They get these perfect trips in, in these races. And then they get in a five-horse uh, maiden a stake race or, a, or an allowance race, and they get another perfect trip. And next thing you know, they've got some credentials, and, and then, you know, they're, they're plotting out a three, four-race campaign as a three-year-old, and off to the shed they go. And, and, and it's, it's like... You know, in a 10 to 12 horse field, you can get a bad post. You can get a bad trip. You're more apt to, to find traffic trouble. There's there's so many more variables that affect the race that uh, the most talented horse uh, it has to work harder. And as such, it turns a lot of those horses who are two to one in, into into three to fives. And for play, people well, like the, me. One of the ideas of the condition book, uh, you know, ideas was that. You know, I was doing a lot, doing a lot of information, looking at uh, what I said before about um, trainers winning one race and with a with a maiden or whatever. And you know, like Todd Fletcher, since two thousand and two, 
he is uh, he's won seventeen hundred and sixty eight races that that were maidens, and he's got just over four thousand wins in that time frame. So, you know, that's what uh, just under half of his wins are in maiden races. So that gives you an idea. You know, the average trainer has a, has a proportion that's a little bit better than that, but not so much. It's only, you know, like 30, 35% of, of most of the trainer's wins are, are maiden races. So that tells you that most of the races that we're running are maiden races right. that, aren't, that aren't very appetizing betting races, you know? know. And the idea is that you have to get these horses through these to break their maidens and without, like, this incentive just to win one and then they're gone, and then have a place to run after you do break your maiden, you know. And that's what my system, primary, primarily my goal was, to get these horses through their maidens into a system where they would be able to run and then classify them as equal as you can so that you have a good race. You know, one of the problems about the handicap system in Hong Kong is that even though it's, designed to bring light horses together, you'll have more, more horses in Hong Kong will be 400 to 1 and have horses that have no chance. Right. Because the handicap system is kind of flawed in that people are trying, are worried about the rating. They want it to go down. You know, they don't believe they can win at a higher rating, so they'll, you know, they'll run them in the wrong spots. They won't train them as hard and run them in these races. And I don't think American racing needs that. What they need is what you were talking about with that $100,000 claiming race. We need more of those. You know, if we have, if we put out that better product, first of all, it's better for the horses, but if we put out the better product, it's better for the gamblers. You know, and that's what, that was the idea of the system. And what I was more trying to point out to Naira when I did this, and, and now that it's become more public, and I'll, I'll try to, if somebody else would want to do it, I would say, it's, I don't think this is the end all. Just look at my philosophies of what I'm trying to do. I'm sure there's a better ways to do this part of it, and there's a better way to do the weight allowance, and there's a better way maybe to to, uh, to do some other things. But the philosophy and the goals of what I set out to do should be the goals of the racing offices. It should be the goals of the track because it should be the the goals of the horsemen because a it's better for the horses, b it's better for the for the betters, you know, right. and that's and that's what they should be. That's how they should be looking at it, you know. One point that, that kind of gets overlooked in my thing that I, I really like the idea, the more I thought about it, I don't remember coming up with this idea as much as, but the idea of how you classify the horses now and if you had to drop a, a level or whatever, and say you had a horse that got injured. So any trainer is now going to take this idea, the, the idea that I have of where you petition to drop. A class. So, say you have a B, a B level horse, and you know you you took chips out of his out of his ankle and you and you laid him up and he came back and now you, you petition to him and say I want to I want to petition that my horse is now a C, you know. Sure. And you give him all the information to the racing secretary. Mm-hmm. Well, now all that's documented. You know, like in the past, you, you know this. If you're if you're running claiming horses, you want to hide the injuries. You right. know, you bring over. You, exactly. You, know, you, you, you show that uh, everything's hidden. This way would be all out in the open. And the transparency is another thing, you know, the more transparency we have for 
the horses, it's better for them, and the more transparency we have for the better, it's better for them too. And you were getting into that, that point too. You know, one of the things that racing has done in the past, it's kind of like a hidden secret, is that is just keep everything underneath. If it doesn't come out, a guy gets a bad test. Shug McGahey gets a bad test. It was an accident. We shove it under the rug. We don't want, we don't want that known. You know, those are the things that are wrong in racing. That's the one, and it's, it's, it's still being done. It, and like you said, it's actually being done worse right now. And if, if we're going to start to get things going, it has to be that, these, that, that everything becomes more transparent. I mean, this is a different issue completely, but no the equity based timing issue that's it, going on it, right it now. It is, but you know, Paul, it is, but it's not. It, everything's yeah. interrelated. And one thing that causes you to question the validity of what you're seeing, like a timing issue, is is important because everything is important. And and like like you said, you you find out about a guy getting suspended a year and a half later, you know, and and, uh, that that should should never happen. At some point, the test is bad. It 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 should be out. It should be known. At some point, and this is the truth, and and I know that people don't want to hear it, and everybody like says, well, that's not me. But we've got to come to grips with we're either going to let the top out, the big outfits, strangle the game to death and kill it, or we're going to try to reform it and bring some competitiveness back. Because watching some of the races, I, I mean, and I don't, like I said, I'm not the most brilliant person in the world, and, and I, I don't, I'm not able to come up with computer formulas that are going to be able to, to put out performance ratings or anything like this. But how many greatest horses in the world have we seen in the last seven or eight years? Like every year, there's two or three horses that, that dominate their division, and and a lot of it is because a lot of their competition exists in their same barn, and and some of those horses get stifled or get sent out to the the different places because That's you not have even the top, it's not even the top levels only. No, you know, and it's seeped down to, to the second level, uh, to, yeah. to the B tracks, where one trainer, you go to Chicago, and and there's one or two trainers that totally dominate. Um, the same. Every track has got guys. Uh, I think Monmouth is a great kind of. Um, uh, it's a dichotomy this year because you have the two guys that have been dominating gone, eliminated, right. um, and all of a sudden you have a, a, a wide open, uh, more competitive, a, a, a wide open. Uh, uh, not, not, not a trainer's race because nobody. I mean, honestly, outside of the people who are involved in it, who gives a shit who who wins? Who's the leading trainer, the leading jockey, the leading owner? I mean, who cares? I mean, it's not like a big deal anymore. It's a, and, and in, in a lot of ways, it's the same people over and over again. I, I I've said this, stated this a lot of times before. I remember in the in the um, late eighties, uh, early nineties, there was a the Thoroughbred Times had a cover. It was a Belmont Spring Meet preview. And it was kind of a portrait style cover with fifteen trainers, um, you know, uh, sitting there in, in, in the Belmont paddock. And the writer, it was kind of a clever way of doing it. He kind of handicapped who he thought would be the leading trainer at Belmont. And and it's it's laughable at this point to think that there would be fifteen people who could be the leading trainer at virtually any meet. It's it's there's essentially two or three. And some meets one, and and that's not a, a, a it's not a positive. And I get I get so tired of hearing people say, "Well, you know, Chuck, it's a free market." No, it's not. Free market is government interference. There's no government interference in, in in that part of our business. The government's not telling people how many stalls you can have. 
The government's not ignoring uh, the rules that we've had for a long time um, that, that that kept the the comp that, that kept the talent level uh, distributed. It, it's it's just it's silly. And a lot of the problems that that, that happened in Europe hap- came here, and a, a lot of the things that that happened over there, where the consolidation of of power got to be so great. That you, you you get races like the we have on Friday at Saratoga, where you had a uh, you have a two year old Philly stake on the turf, the five A's, the Skidmore, I think it is, where you had fifteen of the eighteen nominated were, were trained by one guy, and yeah, he well, does I a think- great job, and 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 yes, if if I had a two year old and I wanted to win early, he'd probably be the guy I sent him to too. But how, how do we how do we where do we go from here when when one guy has got eighty two percent of the nominees for a for a, a given uh stake race. Well that's another thing too. Uh the the system I, I tried to think about that while I was doing this. That the system has to change too. You know, um I, I don't think I I solved that completely in with this group, but uh you know if anybody else is thinking of ideas and whatever, uh I I think it's the racing secretaries and the 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 people in charge is the directors of racing and that those sort of people to, to try to prevent that from happening, and unfortunately you know this as well as I do, most of these racing offices are the opposite. They're, they like that to happen. They like where they only have to deal with the top trainers, and they pretty much squeeze out the, the smaller guys. Well, in, in some, ways, in some ways, Paul, it's just, it's just the way life is. The guys with the most power... Get the most pull, and guy, you know, anybody that's racing, working in racing, their first priority to, is to themselves to stay employed, <laughs> and, right. and that's why some of these ideas have to be. Uh, that, that's why I was encouraging to see Sal put something out there because right. Sal is not a, a low level guy. Sal is 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 a guy that he's, he's not only is a respected guy. But he, he's at a, in a position to make changes, and, and that's what it's going to take. It's going to take someone well, at, at a higher it's level. Gotta start, it's got to start at those levels. They, because the truth they is... they got to be open to these ideas and stop, stop some of this stuff from happening. Paul, in the end, the truth is any ideas we want to use in this business to make it better are going to negatively affect those who are really doing well under the current system. And those are the people that are going to scream the loudest, but... They're doing well already. It's like, you know, you talk about, yeah, we all have to sacrifice in order for the common good. Well, the people uh, below the, 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 the median line, they don't have anything to sacrifice. They don't have anything to sacrifice. Uh, believe me, I was there. I, I've had, I, I had where I had 75 horses in two or three different locations. I, I had the last year when I finally quit training, I was down to about seven or eight horses. And once you get under a certain number of horses and you don't have some sort of powerful owner, you you feel like you're fodder. You just go to fill races for other guys, and yeah, you, my, you can't win. My brother's been in that position for a while now, too. He's yeah, and, and know, it just gets to be where you, you say to yourself, Every day he thinks about getting out. I, I, yeah, I can't win. How am I going to win? And it's, it's uh, that's, that's, but, that, you know, you're only as strong you said, as your weakest link, and, and, then, and in this sport, you know, even like in every salary. other sport, okay. you 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 have restrictions on roster size. You have salary caps. You have drafts. You have things to try to create competitive balance. And in this business, we do we seem to do everything that that works against competitive balance. And a system like yours, or some variation of that, some variation right. of something, would help do that. And and again, the problem is going to be getting it through the people who are going you know. to be negatively affected. The general thought process has to change too, and 
you know, and, and the big guys, they can, they, they can use their power or whatever, but the, this is not just hyperbole. It, there won't be racing, you know, if, if, if it continues. So I think they will see that eventually. They, I, know, I, I know your business is, I want to get 500,000 horses, but I think at some point they'll realize, if, if I have all the horses and nobody else has any, <laughs> uh, you know, that's not, that's not good either. So um, hopefully, hopefully, you know, I have hope. Uh, I'm not one of the, I'm not that pessimistic to, you know, I, I know people have said stuff to me, how can you keep, uh, you know, holding on to hope and whatever. We all know that it is a great game. It is, it is worth saving. So I, I will keep trying. And I, I think the people will eventually get it in, in, at the, at, the, at the levels we're talking about that need to get it. Well, but I think it, you're going to need some pressure from, from groups like the, the Racing Ideas, uh, maybe some, a national horseman group that's more owner-based than trainer-based and yeah. something like that. And hopefully we'll... Uh, Hopefully someday we'll get there. I, I agree, Paul. Listen, I, I appreciate you giving your time up to come on, and um, and I, I'd love to have you on uh, again. Uh, yeah, anytime, Chuck. Great talking to you. Be great. Thank you, Paul. Yep. yep Thanks, bye. Paul. That was Paul Maddie's a professional player and owner for for thirty years. Uh, Paul came up with with a classify uh, classification system, kind of unique to Naira, but uh, it's on our website at www going in circles podcast.com uh, check it out and uh, if you have any if you have any questions um, email them to me and I'll forward them along to Paul or um, you can um, you can get Paul at uh, uh, on Twitter at Paul Maddie's June M-A-T-T-I-E-S junior um, he's on Twitter pretty much every day so um, uh, it, it's it's encouraging to hear people like him uh, still have enthusiasm and, and still have positive thoughts that, that we can fix things and, and, and make things better. Um, I want to introduce our next guest, who is uh, past supper time now. We had well, our first guest was was before breakfast, and now Ilka's past supper. I'm sure, but um, ready for bedtime. This is it's what, what time is it there? It's um, twenty past eight. Ah, oh, you're yeah. good. You're good. You know you're not going. To, <laughs> you know you're not going to sleep. This your daughter's probably keeping you up. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, for everyone that doesn't know, Ilka trains. Uh, how many horses do you have now? We have sixteen at the moment. Sixteen horses, and you're outside of Newmarket. No, we're directly inside in, in Newmarket. So you're right in. in you're actually in Newmarket. Do, does yeah. your does your yard have a name? Yeah, it's called St. Wendred's. Um, we bought this a couple... First of all, thank you for having me on the show, and hi, everybody. And um, it's good that the, the previous guest left everything on a on a hopeful note because it was getting a little bit depressing because <laughs> <laughs> I'm in that boat um, um, on the other side. So, um, yeah, so our yard is called St. Wendred's. It's named... It was, us- it was part of a yard named Seven Springs before, and we got it in the summer of... Um, 2015. So we're on the Hamilton, if, if there's diehard racing fans, we're on the race course side of town of Newmarket on the Hamilton Road. So there's two sides of town, but everybody can use any part of the facilities. So it's um, 2,500 acres of training grounds in Newmarket. 
you so, saw it when you were here, right? So I, really? I I did see I, I didn't see your place in particular, but um, I, I mean Newmarket is just a, an amazing place, and anyone that ever gets a chance to to get over there um, during I, I wasn't there during the races; I was only there for the sales. But um, it, it's a uh, if you love horses, th- this is, is is heaven. It's really a, a yeah. An please, amazing please place. come and visit us. It's it's like they say, like the the home of horse racing, or you know, when you think about it. 350 years or even a little bit more um this is where the thoroughbred originated so it's steeped in that type of history um you can the godolphin arabian actually is buried uh right outside of cambridge so Newmarket is about 20 minutes from cambridge so i when i found that out i was like oh my god i gotta go see that grave you know yeah um that that that's the, uh, the that's the original uh one of the original, the, one of the original right. founders. Yeah, those, the three founders. So yeah, it's like wow. I didn't even know it was it was here. But like, so the race course side, we have two um, race tracks in um, Newmarket. One is called the Rolly Mile. That's where they run the one thousand and two thousand guineas in May. So our like first Saturday in May um, is is the guineas, the first uh, leg of the English Triple Crown, and then they have something called the July Course. They're kind of next to each other. Um, they run. They don't only race there in July. They race. It's like the summer track. Right. And then um, a lot of you know a lot of distances are run over a straight course. And then you know that that Roly Mile is named after King Charles II or whoever it was that started horse racing because that was the pony that he rode or like his hack, his stable hack. And and they would do match races out here on the. New Market Heath, as they say. So when you're riding out here, sometimes you have to cross the track, the race course proper to get to some training track that you want to use. And you're like, wow, you know, this is this grass has been here for 350 years and hasn't been used for anything else. But um, so we have all the grass that you can imagine, uphill, right-handed, left-handed, and all that stuff. But um, it's also 28 miles of synthetic tracks, all weather gallops, as they call it over here. And then... There's one that's a wood chip and a few, like, fiber sand things. So it's up to the trainer to decide where they want to go with their horse. Sure. Um, where, where, do you, uh, where do you race? Uh, you have to ship everything to run, correct? Yeah, that's the other thing. That's, like, the crazy thing that, that's the drawback, really. I mean, it's interesting because you, you go sometimes up north almost on the Scottish border. And, again, some of those tracks, they... They have such a, you know, they've been racetracks for hundreds of years. So, like, the the turf is, like, amazing because the roots are so strong. And, you know, even when it's really hot, it's almost, it still rides like a carpet. But, yeah, that's, like, the drawback because um, you could be going anywhere. And some of those things are overnight. And then everybody knows how bad the prize money is in England. So, um, you're always, you're, every trainer has, like, their own, or depending on how big they are, a couple of their own horse uh, boxes, you know, those two-horse boxes. Right. And, and and sometimes they even have the really big ones, like, you know, you need to be have a special license to drive them. Sure. So you do a lot of your shipping in-house. Sometimes you share, sometimes there's a bigger company that takes a couple, but it's, it's like every trainer, no matter how big or small, you ship your horses you on a daily basis. So you spend a lot of time on the road, basically. Yeah, and then for the jockeys, it's a killer. Now, after the COVID um, pandemic, they are only allowed to ride at one meeting. 
but in the before this it would be crazy they would have like two rides at Yarmouth which is on the seaside uh, like an hour away from Newmarket and then they would ride the evening meeting down by Heathrow Airport in London and then you're like scrambling like as a trainer then you're scrambling to get a jockey that guy might have some affiliation with somebody where they have to ride this horse but you know they can only ride in the first and second race because then they have to jump in the car and drive somewhere else so it's it's really hard on the on the jockeys as well because they're getting up early in the morning riding work. And then if you're like if if you know you go racing with the horse as a trainer, most of the time, then you know you might end up driving that horse box yourself, or you you're running in a night race, and then you come back and and then you're back in the barn at four o'clock, four thirty. So dude, you can't I, like, I, sleep in. I, you know, I have a question. I, 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 it just dawned on me. I never thought about this before. But do jockeys uh, over there have agents? Yeah, they have agents, but it's also that's also something that I always moan about because that was really hard to get used to. Like you know, when it's all central, when you're at the track, that agent is you know working the barns, coming by, seeing you. These guys, I don't even know what they look like. There's right. one guy that's come by and made the effort, but he doesn't even live anywhere near me. He lives up in Yorkshire. Um, but when he's down here, he's come in and said hello, and we've had a coffee. But and then those agents also have humongous books. Like there's like one guy, he's like he owns like Northern England. Right. Like he has twenty jockeys. He has twenty jockeys. Yeah, it's craziness. It's oh. like why do they not cap it? It's like totally unregulated. People... And I get into that too. Because then you call him, and he thinks he's like the Queen of England. Yeah, yeah, well... And, and no, that guy's not available. And it's it's almost like he's good friends with... You know, it's just... That's something they really should look into, but they have a lot of things to look into. But that's, that takes a lot. I You know, that whole personal level thing goes... If you see somebody every morning... Sure. It's a different story, and you can have a personal conversation here. It's, it's um So it's 48-hour declarations here. You enter five days before, entries are five days before, and then you declare 48 hours before. Right. And you have, uh, by 10 o'clock, online, and then um, by 1 o'clock, you need a jockey. Obviously, when you, the best case scenario is that you're all set and you uh, declare with, you know, who you're going to be riding. Sure. Otherwise, you're left sometimes scrambling. Like Yeah, and sometimes it's like, yeah, we want to ride your horse, but he has to, I don't know if this guy's going to declare his horse at this other meeting. But now at least, now it's, easy, <laughs> it's slightly easier. All jockeys are only allowed to ride at one meeting, so everybody's kind of, you know, who's going to be where. It was, it was kind of like back in the day when you had Jerry Bailey, and he said, yeah, I want to ride your horse, but if Mott puts one in or Shug puts one in, I'm riding theirs. So yeah, <laughs> you're, you were beholden to uh, to those guys, and, and, and you were going in the race, and you would tell the owner, well, we have Bailey maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's never uh, it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky thing and it's funny because a lot of times like hear people handicap uh, they'll say well hell you know he had a, he 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 must have had his choice between this horse and that horse and he took this horse so uh, not knowing that you know he he got fired from the other horse or the agent pissed somebody off or the, there's so many different things that can happen and uh, I mean one of the problems that that we have now that uh, Ilka worked for me um, back when I started out. Um, when we had all the good horses. Yes, we had a lot of good horses. Ilka one day worked a horse for me. She put jockey silks on and worked a horse at Aqueduct and won one ten and two. 
which is the fastest <laughs> anyone's ever worked horse for me by far. Chuck was not there in person. <laughs> no, no. They called me up and they Killed said, me. all right, you're going to get mad, but, you know, or don't get mad, which is, of course, like the worst keyword or the trigger word there is. Okay, don't get mad, which means, okay, I'm going to get mad. It's like when the, these uh, phone calls, you get these automated calls, don't hang up, which means hang up. <clears throat> but, um, you know, we have an issue in this country that, that's, that's been exacerbated since you were here in that uh kind of like like what happens to you guys is there's a consolidation of all the good horses and more importantly all the good owners with a small amount of of outfits and it's got to be uh, a, a real issue in we're seeing short fields galore at the upper levels and uh, you know there's also the 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 side effect of the the trickle down theory on on the jockeys, and that the top four or five guys are literally riding every good horse. And it used to be you had a top eight or nine, and now outside of the top four or five, it really is a big drop off because those guys are riding for first call for these you know these powerful stables, and they literally have a horse for almost every one of these races, but everyone else has nothing. And, and that's yeah, that's an yeah, issue yeah, that, yeah. that we have here. And that's why I think one of the ideas behind a system, uh, and, and certainly uh, we're not that concerned about uh, Chad, Chad Brown and Bob Baffert uh, dominating the claiming races because they're not that involved. And most of the time when they put them in a claiming race, they're, they're probably hoping that they don't, they're probably hoping that they win and, and, and no longer own the horse or, you know, no longer train the horse after the race. But the, the, the secondary issue is these, these claiming stables, these really big, giant claiming stables that have a lot, tons of money, and they have um, you know tons of horses, uh, where, where they're just dropping horses and kind of bashing people over the head with their their numbers, and it, it leads to a lot of short fields and it leads to a lot of short price favorites, and uh, neither which of is 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 a good thing for the health of the business. So. Uh, you know, some of the ideas that we've kicked around for years is something similar to what you guys do with the, the handicap system. Though I, I know from conversations with you, the handicap system that you guys uh, have in, in England, which I guess is not that dissimilar to, to what they have in Australia, because Murray Johnson was on early and, and he was talking about uh, how they do it in Australia. But, yeah, um, the English would say they are, they are the invented the handicap. <laughs> they were, English would say they are the ones that, you know, Australia's emulating theirs. Yeah, I know. You know, I know. We all kind of uh, broke off from you guys over there, but um, you know, like, like, explain. You know, we've had this conversation a million times. People over here sometimes get European and uh, infatuated, and they think that every horse in Europe is sound and doesn't bleed and doesn't need medication, and and they they all can race three times a week, and and everybody's chummy and buddies, and and uh, yeah, they don't yeah, see the 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 you know they they just watch Royal Ascot and they watch the Queen and they watch you know those type of horses, and and they don't realize that that's that's not. Uh, an everyday race card over there and, and just kind of describe some of the issues that that you have um with the handicap system that, that that's in place there yeah okay cool um first i was just going to say one more thing with the like good horses make good riders and good trainers you know so it's always like when when everybody's just like giving the guy 350 horses 
and how you're supposed to prove yourself, and it's only one jockey rides. But anyway, yeah, handicap for me, like I always, to me, like the handicapping system means you have to lose and to be able to win, basically all the time. So I don't, I don't know why anybody would be in favor of it. Because you have to, you have to lose if you have a mediocre horse, and you started. You have so you have to run. You know the base. The basics are covered, right? You need to run three times to get a mark. Unless you win first time out, if you have a two-year-old and you win first time out, usually you can't get a mark because the handicapper doesn't have a handle on, like, the competition yet. But let's say you have a three-year-old and you have three runs, then you get your handicap mark. But if, if you, like, kind of figure out in the morning this isn't going to be a superstar, then you kind of, you know, logically speaking, you want to have a low handicap mark. And again, everybody wants to train the Royal Ascot horse, but that's, right. you know, everybody wants to have those horses. But um, So a low so, handicap mark will get you in an easier race. Yeah, but here's the but. First of all, that takes time and money because, you, you know, unless you can run them like three times in a month, you know what I mean? And sure. That usually doesn't, you know, all those things usually don't happen. And then you have these specialists. If you go back and you look at a few races, I can tell you some names now first three runs the horses were went off at 150 to 1 100 to 1 something like that 80 to 1 three times and then sure. um first time in a handicap three to one so, so they suddenly so just got better yeah and then they win because right. they've been so you kind of to do that kind of thing is so you have a few specialists where they always say oh this guy's genius has hundreds he has hundred thousand dollar horses that then um, that he put so he has like something with an engine already. So if you have like a lowly rated horse that's running in its right grade, you might be bumping into this monster that's not even supposed to be in that grade. And then everybody says, "What a genius the guy is!" Because right. he ran him three times over the wrong trip. Right, um, right. So or whatever. So, so I, like, I had asked Murray about that. I said, well, "What what if you had a a." a uh, uh, a two thousand meter horse, and you, and you ran him twice in five or uh, in a uh, thousand meter races, knowing that the horses would get bad, uh, would get bad race. You know, wouldn't run very well because it was half the distance he should be running. Would that affect the rating? He said most of the time, no, it it, it wouldn't affect the rating. They would just kind of ignore those races because that's not his main trip. So when he went back to the his actual best distance, he he would probably maintain his 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 rating of before. Do you yeah, get, do you have access to the handicapper? Like, can you question them, or is it is it they live in an ivory ivory tower? They make the decisions, and and that's final. Oh, you can call them, and, and like sometimes you think you 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 feel like you've been unfairly, you've gotten an unfair mark, and you can call them and say, listen, why did you give me? Um, now I can't get into that race. Like usually, you call them because they gave you a rating that you think is too high. That's mm-hmm. why you would call. Right, right. So you you have you know, you've you've told me before that you've entered races and, and there's been so many horses in the race that, that uh, uh, I, I mean like thirty five horses. So oh yeah, we got right, right now all the everybody always says they want to like upgrade the standard of racing, but if you look at these low level races this time of year or like right before that, you know the horses in training sale, you yes. cannot you can't get in like you get balloted up even. They split the races sometimes. There's always, like, certain times of the year where it's, like, where it always happens. But, um, of course, this year is even more special, you know. But um, Sure. Um, 
you have you know, they'll have are you, did, are you still they'll here they'll write a card and they'll have like they'll even be like a system where it'll be did like I lose her, Casey? first preference oh no there, you're back races. yeah oh, you you, you, fa- you faded out for a second oh i oh sorry i said they'll write like a card and you'll enter in a race and they'll even say this this race is first preference to divide because there'll be like one or two slots you know, you'll know which race car, which which race meeting will um, split a race. Right. It always right. depends on media rights and what they're airing and, sure. and time of day. Have, so, you, um, have you ever raced in a selling race? In um, have we raced in one? No, we haven't because they have over here. They have claiming races and selling races. I've run in some French claimers, like French prize money is so much better than in England. Right. And English racing is calling me up there. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and um, so it's sometimes it's worth it to go over to France to run in a claimer. Sure. But they have they here they have so a seller is when you can um, the winner gets auctioned off like like as if it's like um, like the winner circle becomes like the auctioneering. Right. Only the winner though. And but everybody else in that race is in for for a um, set tag. Okay. Okay. So like the selling race, everybody would be in for say twenty thousand, except the horse yeah, that won. They have an auction for him in the winner circle after the race. Yeah, and and he might then even go for less than everybody else is in because <laughs> like the the starting point of that of that auction is lower than, right. than the advertised price. Right. That, 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 so that's, that's a seller, uh, and then a claimer is a claiming race where your um, the weight is usually like a handicap claimer. So you. So um, the weight that you the more weight you carry, the higher the, your price. Yeah, yeah. So you can kind of say, "I want to put this horse in for eighteen or whatever," right. and, but then that's what you have to carry. So, so those can come up pretty tough. Yeah, I can you imagine. Can, you can bump into some competition there. Sure, and I, I think th- that that's very common. I think one of the problems that we're having, and the and the the, the guest that was on before, Paul Matty's, who's a professional handicapper. An owner, his his worry about trying to come up with a system other than claiming is that Americans aren't used to dealing with weight. Weight is not much of a factor anymore. We don't have very many handicaps, and uh, the spread is very small when we do. So it, it would be a little unusual to see American horses suddenly carrying 132 pounds versus other horses carrying 118 pounds and. And, and and that's something I, I I kind of agree with that it would have to be eased into. A, I think if we started telling people that their ten claimers are going to carry 134 pounds because they're running against eight claimers, <laughs> it, it might it might cause a lot of consternation. But um, Ilka, I, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your night to, um, to join <laughs> us, and uh, I, I'd certainly love to have you back on uh, on an, on another show. And uh, if the if we're ever allowed to travel out of the country. Uh, I'd love oh, to God, come back yeah. to the new market sale. That, that was that was a that's a fun sale. That that, that is the most fun I ever had. To, uh, buying yeah, horses. come and visit any time, please. And and as soon, uh, as, soon as Mr. Trump allows us out of the country again, we'll, we'll be uh, I'll be over. Yeah, cool. And I am still I need to have a runner in Saratoga. I hear you. We'll get one. <laughs> All right. Great. Thank you thank so thank much you. for having me on the show. Thanks for being on. Bye. Take care. Bye. That that's Ilka Gonsera Levesque, I believe her her last name is. Uh, trainer in England. Uh, that was that's interesting to, to to know that seller races only the winner gets auctioned off, and everyone else is a set price. 
I, I did not know that. Um, our next guest and our final guest of the day is uh, Elizabeth Rogers from, from Charlestown. Elizabeth is the racing secretary at Charlestown. And she certainly would offer us a, a, a racing official's perspective of of um, conditions and, and such. Um, Elizabeth, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, very, very pleased to have you, uh, have you on the show. Um, Thank you. I, I appreciate you for uh, thinking about me and asking me to join you. Certainly. You. Um, how long have you been racing secretary at Charlestown? Yeah, so I picked up that mantle in uh, July of last year, actually. So it, it hasn't been too long. Um, prior to that, uh, I believe, I want to say it was 2015, I moved into the assistance position uh, out there, out here at Charlestown. And uh, I've actually been here at Charlestown since 2012. Eight years at Charlestown. I think you, you, they, they should give you a medal or something. Night night racing is not easy. I I worked at a harness track for a couple years, and it 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 seems like um, it's twenty four hours of racing when you're drawing races in the morning and you're you have races in the the night. But uh, it certainly has its uh, its pros and its cons, and uh, with the market out there as it is, the uh, the nighttime slot certainly helps uh, for. For our business and um, trying to go up against the uh, the heavy heads on a Saturday afternoon is not really in the best interest there. How, how has business been uh, since you guys came back during the pandemic? Yeah, it's actually been really good. Uh, us being the first mid-Atlantic track to get going again, it was uh, May 14th was our, our first racing day back. And actually the first uh, week, uh, we saw it handle like $4 million. A night um, the first couple of days. It slowly started to trickle down as we expected sure. as more tracks get opening up and everything, but I feel like we've actually been able to maintain a lot of new betters, people that hadn't seen us in the past and got the opportunity to see the racing and, and the product we offer. Uh, the fact that we are year-round racing offers a lot of consistency in our horses. Um, you get, rather than Places like uh, Saratoga Del Mar, uh, where you get horses coming from all over the place uh, to uh, to compete, you get Charleston to get a lot more consistency in their past performances. You know, I, I think that's an interesting point when we're talking about the, the main topic of the show today, which is uh, systems other than claiming, which was brought up by by Sal Sinatra, um, who's the the I guess he's the VP of racing uh, at uh, the Maryland Jockey Club, and with with claiming um, making up about two thirds of the races nationwide, uh, it's a big it's a big chunk. But at a track like Charlestown, it might be a little bit different because you guys have um, a, a majority of horses are claimers, but you're also you don't have a whole lot of shippers in and out. And, and I think one of the the negatives of any rating system would be comparisons um, over different tracks, uh, where, where um, to get a, a a standard scale of um, performance ratings that encompassed every track equally, it would seem to be that that would be that would be a little bit difficult. And um, 
Oh, you know, with you, you um, guys having mostly the uh, and and you have a bull ring type, you know how it's five eighths track, so it, uh, it's three a little quarters. Bit, three quarters. Okay, it's it's yeah. uh, it's a little bit of a unique uh, track compared to the bigger track. So you would think that horses would, would uh, that thrive there would, would 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 stay. Yeah, well, and it's definitely certainly interesting because. Um, Part of being uh, out here at Charlestown, I was a student out at the racetrack industry program, and we're with the trainer out there that uh, she had a horse that was definitely that bull ring specialist. You get this very neat track around Arizona, and nobody could touch the horse. And then you take the horse to a mile track, and you couldn't find him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's definitely uh, becomes a bit of a, it's always that question mark. Anytime you get somebody sending a horse uh, to our track for the first time, you know, is the horse going to like, you know, the tighter turns, the shorter stretch, and um, and just how the race plays out. You really have to have a jockey that understands how to ride on a smaller track and when to make that move because the move isn't in the same place as where it would be on the mile track. And yeah, uh, I think right. the next example I like to use is Imperative, uh, who's won the Charlestown Classic multiple times. And uh, he made, if you want, go back and watch his races, he's making his move going into the backside of the track um, for the when you beat back around because it ends up being a, a three-turn race. And he actually made his move very, very early and, and got it done, which says that you, know, you can't have a closer. And, and do well at the track. You just need to know when to make that move with the horse. Yeah, there was a... Um, I mean, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm on this uh, bandwagon, but uh, it, it's been said that um, Smarty Jones lost the Belmont Stakes because Stuart Elliott moved too early because he wasn't used to riding at the, the mile-and-a-half track and, and where the three-ace pole would would normally be it, it's it's the half mile pole and yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's uh, I, I don't know that I I, I don't know that, that that actually is a valid excuse or not but that that was um you no know, that was one of the theories and certainly yes a, a three quarter track is is going to be a different uh, makeup mm-hmm. um and you, oh, yeah. your back your backside uh, makeup is is different than a lot of the other tracks the bigger tracks in that you have um more people that are are kind of all encompassing people that that bred their own horses, raised their own horses, own them, and, and and train them. Oh yeah, um, there the the West Virginia Red State program uh, here is is very much uh, set up to to benefit these small mom and pop um, breeders. Most every trainer in our barn area. And I think most, a good majority, a good number, uh, have a mare or two mares out of the farm. Um, you know, they, they breed, you know, their own horses and, and bring them to the races and, and take full advantage of the state bread program that we have. And um, these guys, you know, they, for them, they put in so much time and money and investment uh, in these horses by the time they, they get them to the races. They're not going out there and buying your top-of-the-line horses, you know, to, to bring back here and race at Charleston. Um, you know, they're breeding their own horses here in West Virginia. Uh, they might go to the Mid-Atlantic uh, sales and pick up some of the, you know, the horses that go for a little bit of a lower price tag. Um, so good horses, so horses with a lot of potential, um, and, and bring them back here to run. And uh, so you get a lot of our trainers um, are in this game at an even more personal level because they 
put in the, the time and the effort and the hard work, and you get that emotional value um, from those horses that you've raised, um, you know, all the way through until their first start. Sure. So let me ask your opinion, and this is just your opinion, not your. This is your opinion as, as Elizabeth, not as a racing secretary. But do you think that a system that didn't risk horses for a low taming, claiming price would appeal to those type of people, being that they have so much invested in them, and that, that they raise the horses, that they they own the the the, the mother, they own the siblings, and uh, you know you hate to see a horse go out there. Um, first time out and, or second time out, even third time out, and, and get claimed for seventy five hundred, which certainly wouldn't pay. Uh, would 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 wind up being a net loss for because you you just can't breed and raise a horse for no matter where you are for, for that kind of money. Do you think that would be appealing? I I, I would tend to think it would. Um, prior when I was back at the racetrack program at, at the University of Arizona, and I was working with the trainer out on her farm. Um, we had mares and, and a stallion, and we were breeding. Um, we had these bulls that we were raising, um, you know, raising from birth and training and getting them ready to go to the races. And the amount of money um, that goes into that uh, and to then risk losing that horse, you know, within, you know, only a couple of starts, uh, trying to earn that back is, is not, you know, it, it's very difficult. Um, there was a horse, actually, that um, I didn't, at the time, I didn't own any part of the horse, um, but I had helped with training this horse. I was there from basically the moment of its birth and until uh, the horse went off to, to the racetrack. And um, the horse actually ran out in California, and the um, the horse ran its first race out at Santa Anita, um, made in claiming 25, didn't run um, very well, but still the excitement, you got your horse there, your horse is at Santa Anita, it's racing, and uh, ended up going for a second start up to Golden Gate, uh, went up there for eight, and all the owners were ecstatic, they were excited, and, um, you know, and then they're trying to figure out, okay, you know, where can we run next? So, of course, you know, your first side is like, okay, he won pretty easy. You know, let's kind of step him up a little bit and see how he does. Didn't work out. Ended up bringing him back down, and he did get claimed away in his fourth start. And um, I can tell you right then there that uh, even though a lot of those owners bought in later, um, once the horse was already prepping for, for racing as a two-year-old, um, a lot of those owners, they, they lost money on the deal. They had a lot of fun, but they lost they lost money. And uh, and it just shows how expensive and, and how difficult it can be if you're you know, a smaller organization or a smaller group of individuals to uh, to afford to, to play part of the game. And um, I think that's where it's, it was interesting with the handicap system uh, that they employ other places, how that could potentially help protect these people's investments and, and give them a chance to actually earn that money back. Right, right. Yeah, it's... it's uh... It's it's expensive. I mean, listen, it, raising horses at a lower level is not what your money manager or the person who uh, was in charge of your finances would probably recommend doing. But uh, I mean, there's there's certainly an attachment to the horse itself and and to the the family and to to see the horse um, be born and and raised and and go into training and and you know get their gate card and. 
get to the races and do well. It, it certainly is a, um, it, it's really a, a, a process that, that a lot of people enjoy and, and they understand it's going to be expensive. And it just would be nice that if we could give someone an alternative um, mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, to, to race their horse to a certain point. I mean, at a certain point, horses have to be competitive too. I mean, going out there and running, last every time is 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 not really you know that, that doesn't do anybody any good either i mean people you know, the, the, no one's going to bet on the horse they get in the way and they, they don't really have any chance it gets to be um you know the, those those aren't beneficial to anyone either i mean we we know field size is important but it's, it's better when field size is is big and the the horses even the long shots have some sort of of uh, of a chance to to be involved in in on the board but um you would of course know that better than me being that this is what you're doing for a living nowadays but but um uh you guys have a big uh a, a big event that i was surprised i'll be honest i, I was surprised that um I, I was I wouldn't have, but I, I should say I wouldn't have been surprised if you guys had postponed it this year. Uh, the, you have the Charlestown Classic coming up soon. Yeah, um, it's coming up uh, next next Friday, August twenty eighth. Uh, we actually take entries a week from today for the races. So, uh, any of the listeners are interested, hopefully, we'll have an overnight up on the up online by this time next week. Uh, but something unique uh, this year. Usually we run two graded stakes cards a year, uh, one in April, one in September. And with everything going on and the delay, uh, made the decision this year for the first time to actually run both of our graded events on the same day. Uh, so we're going to have the grade two Charlestown Classic and the grade, two, uh, grade three Charlestown Oats uh, on the card, uh, which we're, we're looking forward to. And uh, we're getting a lot of interest from trainers. Um, the feedback's been really positive. And really looking forward to it. I, I think it's going to be a good year for everybody in that. that, that that's really great. And, uh, so uh, familiarize me with the grading rules. You cannot run. Is it, is it? You can take one year off, but then you have to run. Otherwise, you lose a grade. Or, or are you in jeopardy of losing a grade if you don't run? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on, on some of the grading rules. I've, I've looked at it more I would think from that- a, a listed standpoint with our, our state red stakes and, and making sure that they're getting their listed status. Yes, they get black type. Um, yeah, it, it's. I, I would mm-hmm. guess this year, I mean... Because it, it wouldn't be just racetrack saying, "Well, geez, we're not going to run the race." It's it's a uh, there's so many circumstances beyond. I mean, every, everybody's basically oh. running for um, for less money. What, what I mean, Gulfstream yeah. is really probably the only circuit out there. I, I don't know. I don't check everybody's purse levels all the time, but they handle so much, and, and we get so little from the casino here that um, that they're able to kind of maintain purse levels. But uh, I mean, Saratoga is a track that's running for reduced purse levels. And, and I know they, they postponed some stake races this year. And, um, Keelan yeah. certainly, uh, had, had some, uh, had some changes having, having to go to, um, uh, a five day meet as opposed to a, mm-hmm. a three week meet. But, um, it's, it's good to see, um, it's good to see that you guys are still, uh, still going strong. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of people yeah. kind of downplay the small tracks and, to me, they're important. They're important. They have a place in the uh, in the landscape of racing because I don't know how you get people involved 
in horse racing from a newcomer standpoint unless they can attend, unless they can actually go and see the racing. Um, and I think the, the, the smaller tracks give people an opportunity in, in places that aren't New York City or aren't Los Angeles to, to be able to be exposed to racing. And I think that um, that as we continue to continue to consolidate, if we don't have tracks like Charlestown um, or some of the Texas tracks are running at nighttime, people are still going to bet something and they might wind up betting something else. And I, I think it's important and uh, that, that, that there's a, a, a level well, I, too for horses to find. Certainly. And I see a lot of horses uh, that or trainers and owners bring here. Uh, we actually do see a lot of horses that come up from Gulfstream Park, Tampa, um, down in Florida and, and come to Charlestown. And these are horses that just aren't quite, competitive enough uh, for the horses that are in those areas because Tampa um, and Gulfstream can be very, very competitive, especially during the winter time. And uh, so you see a lot of horses that aren't quite cutting it uh, down there at Gulfstream, but then they come up here to Charleston and they do just fine um, and, and they're quite successful. And in some ways you can kind of think of the, the various racetracks out there in the same way as the, the grading systems um, and that, you know, yes, you know, we may not have your your grade one horses here all the time, um, but, you know, we do have horses that here that are coming in together that are at a, a similar ability level. You know, the, the horses are, you know, they're healthy, they're happy, they're sound, uh, they're competitive, and, and they can race competitively here. Um, and then, you know, should they get to the point where they're, they're not able to, um, you know, we have our... Uh, programs for helping with uh, placing the horses and everything and some horses will also you know that are still good to run will make the trip up to mountaineer where it, it you know it's just like one slight you know drop down um up there at mountaineer and, and then they can be competitive up there and, and do quite well uh, so I, I definitely think the smaller tracks serve the purpose and uh for those horses but also for the economies of the area um, the, the agricultural economy for Jefferson County, where Charlestown is located, um, definitely relies quite heavily on uh, the racetrack and, and all the businesses it supports. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the economic impact of a racetrack is is far greater than just handle. Uh, mm-hmm. What is yeah. the what's your schedule like for the rest of the year? Um, what are you guys planning on? Like, do you have a, a plan going forward? Um, right now, uh, we're originally scheduled to run three days a week, um, and that goes through uh, not quite the end of October. Um, and then the original plan was to change over to four days a week. Um, right now, they're still talking about it. We've been fortunate enough thus far not to have the need to cut purses at all. Right. Uh, so that's you know always in the back of everybody's mind, making sure that uh, you know we can continue to to race at at the level that we are. Um, you'll notice on, on the Charlestown Classic and then Charlestown Oaks that the purses did take a cut, and a lot of that motivation was to try to preserve the, the overnight purse account uh, for the horsemen and, and keep them going um, and, and keep them in, in business and running. Sure. Uh, so right now the plan is we'll, we'll be changing over to four days a week in October. Um, of course, always subject to change depending on what goes on with uh, everything out there. Um, in the world today, <laughs> and with the uh, the pandemic, but 
Yeah, I, uh, I know it's we're uh, looking fairly strong at the moment. It, it's it's difficult to uh, to really have have not not that racing is really great at long term planning, but um, it, it's it's so difficult to try to figure out what's going to happen and and uh, you know so, so many ways. Uh, I, I know, like the Pennsylvania tracks depend on the on the slots, the casinos so much, and with the you know the consternation about opening them back up or opening them up at such a a, a a small level that they're not able to do the the numbers that they were able to do it it just makes uh, it just makes it difficult to figure out and uh it's why it's why uh your job is important because the better product you put out there the more money gets handled uh on the races the more self-sufficient we are and and, and less dependent on uh on uh, you know on the slots but um Elizabeth, I, I appreciate you uh, taking some of your time out, and good luck. Um, hope your your big races go off and get full fields, and people bet a lot of money on them, and uh, love to have you back sometime. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, Elizabeth. Thank you. Well, that wraps up today's show. We um, we had uh, four people from vastly different parts of the world, but uh, kind of an interesting topic. Uh, Thank you, and we will be back next week on Going in Circles Live. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast.